if, actually, I, I want you to describe what it's like when you feel wrong, okay? What is it like to feel wrong? Describe what, it like, what it's like to feel wrong to your friend. Ready? Go. You got one minute. Okay, so describing what, it like, what it's like when you feel wrong or what, what you feel like when you're wrong. I heard a couple people. Uh, anybody want to give some shout-out answers? Heavy. Heavy? Okay, it's, it's heavy. I assume that's what you mean. Okay, like Alex's life. Um, what did you say? A hot wave of embarrassment? That's, that, that was my... That was my favorite. <laughs> yes. So once you stand up and everybody can... No, I'm just kidding. A hot wave of embarrassment. Um, well, let's talk. Let's talk later. Um, so, so, you know, all these things come. You, you might feel bad. You might feel shameful. You might be confused. You might be angry. You might have a hot wave of embarrassment. Um, but actually, it's kind of a trick question. Because... When you feel those things is actually when you're right. Because when you, it's, it's when you realize that, you're, that you were wrong, that's when you're right. So in other words, um, when, you, when you come to know the truth about something and you recognize that you were wrong before, that's when you feel those things. Because you, you recognize the implications of being wrong. You recognize maybe how, how you acted um, or what you said. And, but really... When you recognize you're wrong is actually when you are right. So what does it feel like when you are actually wrong? And I think the answer is it feels a lot like being right. So when you're wrong and you don't know it, you feel right. It feels right. Now, I think this is kind of a fascinating idea. Um, because I think this, this thing happens in, in our life and it will continue to happen for the rest of, of your life. Um, for me, it was kind of like that moment in fourth or fifth grade, I can't remember exactly, but is when my mom kept, kept bugging me about um, wearing deodorant. And I'm like, no, I, stop talking about my armpits. Like, I don't want to, ew, don't, don't, ew. And then it happened one day. I was it, I, coming, coming back from recess Sitting at the lunch table. Now, you got to know, recess for me was, that's when I shine. Recess was the, my number one subject, hands down. I dominated on the tetherball court. Any other tetherball fans of the, tetherball was my jam. So I would dominate out there, get all sweaty, you know, hold the court, if you will. And then I'd come in to lunch. And I sat down. And I remember Hillary Bellabradic. That's right, the hottest girl in all of elementary sits next to me, and then I learned 
that I was wrong. In fact, I smelled that I was wrong. All of a sudden, all those times my mom's trying to get me to wear deodorant, I realized why. Because you don't want to smell next to Hillary Bellabradic. So I had a choice. What do I do with that information? Uh, fast forward many, many years later, having a conversation with my father-in-law, who uh, he had retired from the United States Postal Service. He'd worked worked for them for 35, 40 years. And I don't know why I thought this. I just assumed UPS, FedEx, USPS, they're all the same. Um, turns out they're not. Uh, I made some comment to him about, oh yeah, UPS is, man, they're doing really well, so you guys must be doing great. No, not so much. Um, it was, for him, it was like they, they were the competition. And I, I, I learned that day that I was wrong. but. Moments before, sure did feel like I was right. This made sense to me. They all deliver stuff, so they're all the same. Maybe a little more serious one uh, for me this past year, um, especially this past summer, um, I started um, learning more about the history of racism in our country. And um, I come to believe that I've been wrong about racism. I, I, I knew that it was an issue. I didn't doubt that it was an issue. I just, I just doubted that, my, that I had a part in it. And, and so I started kind of learning and studying. I had a friend challenge me to kind of own and, and, and work through our history's issue with that and uh, our country's history with that and, and come to realize like I've benefited from, from it all my life, that, that I, I truly believe. I don't know if I could be convinced otherwise now. After learning what I've learned and, and, and seeing what I've seen, now I don't think I could be convinced otherwise that, that my life has, been, has benefited from racism, that, that, there's, that there's certain privileges that I've had simply because of the color of my skin. And, and so it's in those moments, those are hard moments, because I hate being wrong, especially about things that matter, especially about anything that I'm passionate about. I hate being wrong, but there's this moment where you have a choice. When you're confronted with the truth, and you got to do something about it. So, I, I believe this process happens throughout the rest of our life. In fact, if you don't want to be wrong, then don't learn stuff. <laughs> don't talk to people different than you. Um, man, for the love of all counselors, don't get married if you don't want to be wrong. If you don't want to know that you're wrong. In fact, I would argue that, that this is one of the greatest things that can happen to us is to find out that we were wrong about something. Because it means that we now know the truth. It means that we found out a, a better way. And so this can be a good thing. So I found this to be true when, when studying the Bible. And especially when it comes to like, our understanding of Jesus. I wish this, would be a th I wish this was a thing. I wish, I wish somebody would invent a way to, um, to like, hook us up to some machine and, and, and then our picture of Jesus would, would like show up on the screen in some movie-like form, and then we would all get to see what I really think Jesus is like. And I would be willing to bet if there's 80 people in this room, there might be 80 different versions of Jesus on the screen. Now, some of us might have similar because maybe we've studied the Bible more, maybe we know a little bit more about what, who Jesus is and what he's done, but I think there still would be maybe 80 different versions. Because something happens when you're reading the Bible and you, and, you, and you weren't there, 
And so your, your brain just kind of fills in the gaps. It fills in things that you don't even know it's doing. So I, I realized this um, several years ago. I had the great opportunity to go to Israel in 2016. And I, I got to stand on stones that Jesus stood on. There's no doubt he would have stood on these stones. I, I stood there. I, I got to walk down this path that Jesus would have walked down the night he was crucified. And it hasn't changed. And, and the, the historians will tell us this is exactly the way it was then. Um, I, I picked up five smooth stones in this creek where David most likely picked up stones to kill Goliath. And it was right next to this major freeway, this major highway. We literally just pulled over on the side of the road, walked around this, this fence and onto this field. And he's like, yep, this is where it happened, right here. And I'm like, there's cars whizzing by. I, I stood in the Jordan River where most likely the area that Jesus is the widest area at the point, most likely where Jesus would have been baptized. And none of it looks like how I pictured it would look. Way less glamorous, way more real. And, and all of a sudden, now, when, when I read Scripture, I, I picture the real scenes. I, I see the real places. And I didn't even know I had these pictures in my head until I get there and realize that I was wrong. So, um, I believe all of us have an idea about who Jesus is. And, and if we're honest, none of us would want to follow Jesus that we make up. None of us would want to give our life to, to Jesus if we knew we were just imagining who he thought he should be. Can I tell you why I think sometimes we're anxious about life? And I'm talking about the unnecessary, unnecessary anxious, anxiousness. I think it's because we, we don't trust the God that we've fabricated in our own heads. I, I, I think this is a thing. And the reason, the reason that is, is I don't, I don't think we were, we, I know we were never made to be God, and I don't think we trust ourselves to be God. And so if, if, I've, if I kind of just say, I don't really like that God is this way, and I don't like that the Bible says it this way, and so I'm, I, I kind of want God to be like this, I think that's just a recipe for anxiety, because we, we were never meant to define who God is. In fact, if, if God is exactly who I think he should be and do what I think he should do, guess who I think God is? Me. So, this is the challenge. Is that we have these, these thoughts, these ideas, we fill in gaps, we have these expectations of, of who Jesus is and what he's like, and, and then we have to approach the scripture and say, okay, am I going to let this thing determine it? Am I going to let Jesus tell me who he is? Or am I going to keep my version of him? Um, and that's what we've been trying to do in this series. This, this series called Encounters with Jesus. We're, we're looking at different interactions that Jesus has with different people because we want to have a, a richer, a deeper, a fuller picture of Jesus. Um, a, a greater knowledge of him so that we can trust him with our life. So tonight we're going to look at this encounter that Jesus had with this man named Pilate, a Roman governor. Now, let me get you caught up to speed, and then we're going to read this, this long section of Scripture together. It's not all of 18 and 19. It's half of 18 and a little bit of 19. Um, 
But Jesus had been, so here's, can me catch you up to speed. Jesus was uh, betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested, and then he was immediately taken to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and then eventually to Caiaphas. Um, both of them, this, in John, it refers to both of them as high priests, but really Caiaphas is the high priest. Annas is, is kind of like an honorary high priest. He's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and so both of them have issues. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk a little bit more about what happens in Caiaphas's um, court, but but there's issues, and basically they're trying to um, do anything they can to question him, to to accuse him, to mistreat him, and ultimately so they can put him to death. But they know that they can't be the ones to do the dirty work. They can't they can't you know sentence him to death. It's against their law. So they need, they need the Roman governor. They need the, the man who's been put in charge by Rome over this area, over all of Judea, and his name was Pilate. And so they sent him to Pilate. And so we're going to read, we're going to pick up in John 18. In fact, if you have a Bible, I would, I don't, it's not going to be on the screen. I would love for you to open up a Bible. I think we have Bibles somewhere on the table, somewhere we normally do. If we don't, my bad. Uh, it's on your phone, if you have it on your phone. John 18, starting at verse 28. So I'm going to read through the story. I'm going to read all the way through to John 19, um, verse 16. And after I'm done, I'm just going to allow a minute of silence, just to, just to kind of process what takes place in, in this scene with Pilate. So starting at John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. And Pilate told them, You take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? said Pilate. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers had twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. 
And they kept, him, they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Then the chief priests and the temple servants saw him. They shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourself, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied uh, to him, and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it had not been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And from that moment on, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, If you release this man, you are Caesar, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. They shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! And Pilate said, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Take a minute and just reflect on that story. All right, so what's going on in the story? And who is this Pilate character? Like I said, he is a Roman governor. He, had, he was the fifth Roman governor in, in, this, in this providence of Judea. Uh, and he ruled from 26 AD to 36 AD. And we know that from history. We, we actually found even more proof recently, well, recently being like 1961, um, when some documents were discovered. And so he was known as a brutal ruler. Um, hated the Jews, and it says, quote, his atrocities were against, against the Jews were legendary. So this man was not a fan of the Jews. He loved any opportunity to kind of stick it to the Jews when he could, and, and he meets Jesus. 
And you, you saw it in the story several times. He's trying to release him to the Jews and to no avail. So a couple things that I think um, Pilate encounters with Jesus, a couple things he learns about Jesus. The first one is this, that Jesus is a king like no other king. What kind of king comes bound in like a prisoner? What kind of king um, doesn't, doesn't have anyone fighting to set him free? What, what kind of king doesn't, isn't even trying himself to be free? So just looking at Pilate's interactions with Jesus, here's a couple things I've noticed. Pilate um, thinks he's interrogating Jesus, but, but it's also Jesus is interrogating Pilate. Um, and Jesus never really answers his questions, which is kind of interesting. Uh, he asks, are you the king of the Jews? This idea of being king was a, was a big political word and had very serious consequences. His whole job was to keep the Jews in, under control. So if, if anything got out of hand, if anything happened that would um, you know, ruin it for the, the, for the Roman rule, um, he would be the one um, responsible. So you know, the, no other king had been there since Herod the Great, uh, who was kind of a puppet um, for, from Caesar. He was somebody that Caesar elected, who came out of nowhere, had no heritage as, uh, as like a Davidic king or anything. And so that Herod the Great had gone, and they just put Pilate in charge. Essentially what he's asking is, are you a threat to Rome? And so Pilate doesn't want to be responsible for his life. He keeps saying, I... I I find no fault in this man. He keeps wanting to release him. He even, um, it's in, in, the, in the language, in the original language, there's different words for flogging, and supposedly the word he used was more of a, to teach somebody a lesson, kind of a flog. And so even just having Jesus flogged is like, maybe if I just whip him quite a bit, put this, uh, this, this um, thorn crown on his head, bring him out, maybe that'll be enough. Maybe that'll suffice the crowd. And so he's, even, even in what he's doing, he's trying to, to release Jesus. Again, he doesn't want to re, be responsible for his life. Um, and he, but really what he was more concerned about was saving his Roman butt than, than, than saving Jesus' innocent life. Um, it's fair to say that Pilate had, had his understanding of what a king should look like. He, he, he knew what kings should be like. And Jesus didn't match any of the criteria. Jesus didn't talk his way out of it. At one point, he even um, remained silent um, because Jesus was a king like no other king. So looking at Jesus' interactions with Pilate, we notice a couple of things. His answers reveal something about who he is, that he had an agenda, and it wasn't being set free. Nothing Jesus did um, was to get himself free. Nothing he said, nothing he did. Um, This is one of the only times when when Jesus talks about a kingdom in John, and he uses, um, like, he removes all political ideas from from having a kingdom, and he describes it as otherworldly, that his followers aren't going to fight to set him free. Jesus points out how God gave Pilate the authority that he has, uh, alluding to the fact that God is the one who has him there, that God wants him there. In fact, in Isaiah 53, there's this this line that describes how God um, wants this to happen. 
So, in other words, he's saying, I'm here because I want to be here, Jesus is saying. Jesus defines his kingdom around this idea of truth. He says, whoever listens to, to him listens to truth. And in this little exchange about truth, he's, he's offering an invitation to Pilate. He's saying, come, come to the side of truth. And, and Pilate answers with this sarcastic, what is truth? In other words, yeah, I don't, I don't recognize truth when I see it. And like every other encounter with Jesus, Jesus expects a response. The, the, the thing about truth is it's, it's polarizing. When, when Jesus comes on the scene and when he teaches and when he preaches, especially when he tells parables, um, his truth comes and it forces you to make a decision. Am I going to believe this? And if so, there's major implications to believing him. Or am I going to reject it? And, and ultimately, there are major implications to that as well. So the second thing that we see here is that the truth about Jesus um, demands a response. It's like that moment sitting next to Hillary Bellabradic. Um, for me, that information demanded a response. What was I going to do with that? Put deodorant on. That was the conclusion. When we're presented with the truth about Jesus... We're in the same, at the same time presented with this choice to accept him or, or to reject him. And this truth, this kind of truth, a truth that changes everything, demands a response. So what is the truth of Jesus? I, I think it's best seen in this character, Barabbas. So it was customary at, at um, the Passover to release a prisoner. Mark describes Barabbas as a, a rebel, a murderer. John describes him as a revolutionary. Essentially, he's starting revolts. He was, um, this man was a true threat to Rome. This man had proven um, that he would be willing to steal, willing to kill, and willing to, to rise up and, and create a revolt against the authorities. This man was truly guilty of what Pilate was trying to see if Jesus was guilty of. And he, um, and he was let free. So why would God let this bad man, like Barabbas, be set free in Jesus' place? It's because unless Jesus dies, this man, that guilty man, has no chance to be free from his sin. So you think about Barabbas as a real person. Um, if, if, if Jesus is released and Barabbas goes to the cross, he never has a chance now, we don't, know, we don't know anything about the rest of Barabbas' life. I don't know if he someday recognizes who Jesus was and what he, that whole exchange. But ultimately, Barabbas had no chance to be free from sin. No chance to be free from um, the, the burden of his sin unless Jesus stays and goes to the cross. It appears like a righteous man is being punished for no reason. But unless Jesus dies... I have no chance to be declared righteous before God, and my sin will separate me from, from God for eternity. That's what the Bible says. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's, it's for this reason. I think Barabbas is, is the one that we identify with, is, is like us more than anyone else in this story. Jesus dies in his place 
for what he was guilty of. Does that sound familiar? That's my story. Jesus dying in my place, um, even though he was completely innocent of, completely free of um, sin, he died in my place to bear my sin. And that is amazing grace. Jesus took our sin, and we take on his righteousness. So the truth about Jesus is that he is, the Bible says in, in John 14, 6, you'll see it here in a second, he is the way to God, he is the truth about God, and he was sent to give us life in God. So he is the true king who deserves our allegiance, and he demands a response. So we're going to spend just a, a few minutes reflecting on a couple verses that are going to be on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and John 14, 6. So take, take a minute or so to kind of read through those and reflect on those, and then I will pray and we'll take a break. Father, thank you for these amazing truths. The fact that you would um, take our place, the fact that you um, would take on sin and that we would get to take your righteousness. God, is, is an amazing gift. So I pray that you would help us to see how and in, 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 in what ways you want us to respond to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll have some halftime entertainment, I'm sure. I have no idea what it is, but it's always fun. And then we'll come back in just a minute. I am your elder. I will have you know. All right. So we're actually going to take a few moments here in a little bit and spend some more time in reflection. And then you'll get a chance to even share some of that with, with your neighbor. Um, but I want to I just end with, with describing, like, all of John's gospel, all throughout. I was kind of tracing back, and this happens over and over. John loves to point out that um, there's way more going on with Jesus than, than meets the eye. Um, most people, when they, when they have these encounters with Jesus, they, they see him. And they might see a glimpse of or see an aspect of him that's true, but there's always just way more going on. And that is certainly the case with, with Pilate. This appears to be one, one dark moment, like one of the greatest, um, a great dark moment in, in, 
in Jesus' life, but in reality, it's his most glorious moment. It's one of the most glorious moments in all of history. In fact, if this is true, if what Jesus does on the cross and then three days later does by rising from the dead, if that's true, um, this changes everything. It changes all of human history. This is a huge moment. Here, the Jewish leaders, they want to crucify him. Um, But John, four different times, refers to Jesus as being lifted up. It's, it's, yeah, he's on a cross, yeah, he's being crucified, but there's something bigger happening here. Pilate sees him as an innocent victim, but, but John is showing him as the true king who's assuming his throne. It looks like a guilty man is set free, and an innocent man is being punished, but in reality, Jesus' innocent death makes a way for all guilty people to find abundant life. It looks like Jesus is suffering a brutal and pointless death, but in reality, he is paying the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can truly live. He is the sacrificial king. He will lay down his life for us and also demand our allegiance to him. He is both Lion of Judah and the Lamb to be slain. The Bible says we can come to him with, um, when we are weary and, and heavy burdened, and he will give us rest. Do you have um, anything that's weighing you down right now? Anything weighing you down? Anything holding your attention? Jesus' way, his, his life, is, is to release that. It doesn't, it doesn't take away all problems. In fact, he promises, in this world you will have trouble of many kinds. But he says, I have overcome the world. And so, with Jesus is a reality like no other. So he says, come to me if you're weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. But he also says, I will come again and I will judge the living and the dead. He has the power over the wind and the waves, disease and sickness, demons and deformity, and all of creation is under his authority. He is the great shepherd of our souls who promises to provide what we need to lead us, sustain us, comfort us, protect us, and discipline us when we need it. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So what could we possibly be going through that he doesn't reign supreme over? What could you be struggling with that he hasn't already conquered? And what could you need that he can't provide? So, several scriptures. I, I wanted to just read a bunch of scripture to help you see what the Bible says about Jesus. Because I, I truly wanted tonight to be, hey, look at the evidence. I know it's easy for us to have kind of our own ideas of who Jesus is, but let's just see what the Bible says about him. And then we have a choice to make. And I wanted to look up Colossians 1. If you get a chance, read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It talks about his supremacy, his centrality, that all things are made by him and for him and through him, that he is supreme over all things. Read, read Colossians 3, which says that if you've been raised with him, to fix your eyes on him, where your life is hidden in him, not on these earthly things. I wanted to read Hebrews 12. that talks about how Jesus um, has the power in his word 
to, to, to accomplish anything he needs to accomplish. That he is the exact imprint of, of God. I wanted to go to Revelation and walk through Revelation and help you see when, G, when John meets Jesus in Revelation 1, John falls to the ground because he thinks he's going to die. And Jesus says, have no fear. But he admits, yeah, I hold the, the keys to, to, to Hades and to heaven. I hold the keys to life and to death. I am the first and the last, the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus um, claims to be God all throughout the Gospels. And he, he claims to be king here in our text. And he deserves our allegiance. And he demands a response um, when we come to know him. So I wanted to look at all these and I wanted to just reflect on them. Um, but I decided to simplify it. And I picked one that even though it's in the Old Testament and even though it's a psalm, I believe it accurately pictures Jesus' role in our life. And it's Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible or on your phone, please turn to Psalm 23. I want you, I'm going to read it out loud, but I want you to to look at it. Because you're going to spend a few minutes just reflecting on this psalm. I, I want this time to be a time where... You just get to spend some time with God. I know it's, you're next to a bunch of people. Hopefully we have some music playing that, so it's not just awkwardly silent. Um, but we're gonna, I'm going to give you some time to reflect on this psalm because I really want this psalm. Um, and I want God to speak to you through his word. But Psalm 23, there's so much here. Let me read it. I'm going to read from the CSB. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. So there's some questions that are going to be on the screen for you to kind of think about and and reflect on. And so spend the next uh, four or five minutes Um, if you will, just kind of praying and and reviewing the psalm and, and working through some of these questions.